Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. From Abu Dhabi, I'm Tian Wei, and welcome to Trade for People and Planet, a World Insight special on the 13th Ministerial Conference of the World Trade Organization. The global trade has been a driver for world economic growth in recent decades. Despite of the challenges facing global trade today in a more fragmented world, developing economies and least developed economies see WTO as the place to be for better opportunities for trade and economic development. But their way to WTO may not be easy. Once they are part of the WTO, they also need to know how to tap well into the benefits of this global trade body. On this and more, China and WTO organized the 12th China Roundtable on WTO accessions, this time particularly targeting at the Arab economies. On that, I talked to Amin Salam, the Lebanese Minister of Economy and Trade. Mr. Minister, I know you are having a big schedule right here, just like many of your colleagues. Tell us more about your takeaway from the opening ceremony. The Director General of WTO has outlined such a rich a list of tasks. So to you, how to make it a successful one, a hopeful one? Well, you know, Lebanon has been a long-standing uh, seeker of uh, joining the WTO. It's been for us a very long process. It's been a long journey over, I would say, almost 18 years now, uh, working on the accession. Not to say that uh, Lebanon has been going through so many turbulences, which did not really help us do that earlier. However, uh, today we are very close to uh, the finish line. Lebanon, I would say, uh, if it didn't go through the past few years economic turmoil, we would have been today one of the countries that would be joining the WTO along with Comoros and the other uh, countries that joined today. Uh, however, we are working on major reforms in Lebanon. We have a lot of positive things that will be developing in the next, I would say, year or this year, 2024. That is why we were very keen to have a serious presence and representation on a ministerial level in the uh, WTO in Abu Dhabi today in its 13th session. So uh, we believe that the agenda that the DG put uh, is something we are aware of. Uh, we are working on those objectives and uh, we are very close to the finish line. We hope that the next round, Lebanon, will be one of the countries that will join the WTO. Right. You are coming from a country and a region now plagued by security issues, mm. by violence and conflicts. I just don't know how you and together with uh, your people are holding on to this while at the same time trying to develop trade. Tell us how you are doing it. Well, you know, this is, uh, I was talking earlier to a group as well from China. We had the China Roundtable really uh, working on the Arab region, hosting a big event for the Arab region because uh, China believes that even Lebanon, being a small economy in this uh, wider Arab region, is a very important component because we look forward, uh, uh, as you mentioned, our major problem is stability. And this is an issue, this is a disease that hit the whole Middle East, particularly uh, a big number of the Arab countries. And uh, without stability, uh, there is no prosperity. Without stability and security, 
trade is, is jeopardized as well, as we see now on all the sea entry points in Yemen and other places, how it affected the movement of ships coming to the Middle East and to the Arab countries, how it affected the prices, how it uh, negatively impacted uh, the trade uh, cycle between Asia and the Arab world going all the way to Lebanon. We have price increases, we have delays, we have shortage in products. So we definitely need to work first on uh, uh, more stability, more security to enhance and to develop our trade relationships. Uh, but again, as I said, this is to come because as we know, politics is always uh, a negotiation cycle that is between big nations and then the effect uh, goes to the smaller nations. And unfortunately, we are one of those smaller nations that is affected by the regional struggles. So here comes more pressure for your job, isn't it? Absolutely. You still need to do trade. And trade will be very important for the livelihood of your people. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it is my bread and butter. It's my, my, my ultimate mission to really work on improving trade. That's why we really value partners and allies and friendly countries that still believe that despite the challenges in Lebanon, there is room for development, there is room for growth. If we are talking particularly now really about Lebanon as a market, despite the fact that Lebanon is a small country, but nobody knows that this little small country imports around $20 billion. That's a big number. I mean, it's not a healthy number for a small economy, but unfortunately, the policies that were put in Lebanon for the past four decades turned the country into a fully importing uh, country. So we import about 95% of what we consume. For any uh, trade partner, this is the perfect scenario. But for us, we are working now, going back to the potential, we are working on cha changing our economic idea uh, with focus on trade and calling it creative economy. What we want to trade, what we want to sell, is more knowledge-based. We want to focus on the digital era. We want to focus on the smart young people that we have. And Lebanon has been known to be uh, one of the top two or top three countries in the region that has the ability to uh, develop everything digital, uh, softwares, applications, to the largest extent of what the digital world can take you. And this is something that we can really export to the world and partner with other nations. What about investment facilitation for development agreement? I know that the ministers have collectively, those participating, put forward this document into the formal rundown of uh, the overall MC13. Now that's already a great success that needs to be celebrated. Having said that though, I know it's been going through a lot of difficulties, but finally you got uh, more than 120 countries, more than 120 members of WTO on board. Yeah. So you are also among the countries that are facilitating and participating in this IFD. Tell us more about what is it like for you, relatively smaller economy, be able to together with others, try to push forward an important document. It is, it is a big deal. It is a big deal and usually, uh, I mean, uh, Lebanon, status of Lebanon now is an observer at this stage. However, being supportive of an initiative like this and being part of a pool or a bigger group that gathered about 
as you mentioned, about 120 countries, never goes uh, uh, not registered for the country in the process of the WTO. So when Lebanon, let's say the small little nation on the Mediterranean, that is the effect of it is, is a vote or the effect of it is a decision to be part of the 120 nations pushing for those financing facilities, it makes a big difference and it adds to your positive points in your mission uh, with the WTO. It adds, it enhances your role as a nation that is present and is part of this discussion and approved this policy or this vision for the future. This is really the real value for a small country. And when the time comes when we are a fully fledged member in the WTO, it will always be back in the memory of what Lebanon uh, in the 13th ministerial meeting decided or what Lebanon supported. And usually in those types of organizations, uh, those positions, those supporting positions or decisions are, are never go uh, uh, without a price. Right. They always pay back in a good way. That is the way to go. Participate, uh, make your point, put your vision, uh, be part of the discussion, be part of the future, be part of the decision making. Right. Otherwise, uh, you will be left alone. When you together with others uh, uh, working with China and WTO to build the capacities of uh, developing countries, some uh, includes uh, uh, the least developed economies. What do you see are the most crucial qualities that need to be worked on? We work very closely with our Chinese counterparts on trade. And we even launched most recently online platforms to sell goods and services from Lebanon to China. And the Chinese authorities and the embassy with its commercial office and trade office were very, very supportive to open up the Chinese market for uh, Lebanese talent and products. And we were uh, surprised that there was a lot of, of interest uh, from China in Lebanese goods and services. I mean, they like our food, they like our products, they like our art, they like uh, even, we have young people now doing um, things in the digital world, like certain drawings that are, the, I forgot the name exactly of the, but there's a lot going on. And, and we have two major internet outlets or online shopping platforms that are doing phenomenal. Because, I mean, you can imagine a small little country like Lebanon having a market like China open up, it's, it's a big deal. And we are very keen uh, to keep developing those relationships, especially now that Lebanon is going through turbulence in its uh, economy and is really looking for markets that are friendly and can accommodate what Lebanon has to offer. You are coming from, Mr. Minister, a very dynamic region. I mean, if you look at what is going on here in UAE or Saudi Arabia over the past few years, it's really impressive, Jordan and some others as well. But there's also a lot of uncertainties, as you mentioned, in your part of the Middle East and the Arab region. So how do you see this mixed picture of the region? How do you see the role of your country? What can be done by the region to you? So we're hoping that countries like Lebanon will jump on that train, which is called the 2030 vision, play a major role and benefit from the ecosystem growing. Because only when you create jobs, you will fight terrorism. Only when you give someone a paycheck, you will give him a decent life. Only when you improve 
the livelihood of, of young people and encourage them to get educated, you will get a healthier society. So that is a very good investment and that's what needs to be done and then it will take time but eventually we will have a better Arab world altogether and it will make it easier to work with other nations like Europe, like the US, like China and offer more. I have been visiting a lot of countries around the world and I'm saying, I'm not visiting as a minister that's saying we need help, we need support. I'm, I'm visiting and I'm saying, look, we need win-win projects. We need to have win-win partnerships. We need to offer you an add value so uh, we work together. And that is the only way now I think that any nation can expect a, a partner or an ally to be by your side when you give them hope that you will be a win-win partner and you will have mutual interests that are positive for both. Do you talk like that to your colleagues, to your team? Oh yes, <laughs> even more intense. <laughs> I could tell, almost. <laughs> I lecture them every morning, but they get excited, they get pumped up because uh, you have to keep the morale of your people and, and, and your team always up, especially when you're facing hard times. What if uh, you have setbacks? I mean, you keep them up. Well, I've, I've been, now like we've been in this government. Well, I th I, I, we have a saying in Lebanon. We say we, we, we pull from weakness strength. So we do have a lot of setbacks. Lebanon has been going through three years of setbacks. And our government really uh, came into a situation where Lebanon, by the World Bank report and the IMF, was uh, labeled as the worst economic clash in the world in this century because everything collapsed together. The economy, the banking system, the social life, the healthcare, uh, now the war. Like they couldn't find out a case law that showed a country that collapsed within two, three years that fast. We lost 98% of the value of our currency in less than two years. So the, the, whoever had an income that was, let's say, $1,000, now it's worth $10. And you can imagine how that can affect the livelihood of people. Thank you so much, Mr. Minister, for your precious time. Thank you so much. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. Welcome back. This is World Insight Special Program, Trade for People and Planet. I'm Tian Wei in Abu Dhabi. The appellate body or the dispute settlement mechanism of WTO is crucial for the global trade system. How much can we expect MC13 to provide some hope to have the appellate body back to work again. My exclusive interview with Norwegian Foreign Affairs Minister Asmund Bart Eide. 
there's a dispute settlement mechanism, um, which is actually one of the things that came in when what used to be a more Western organization called GATT became the WTO in 1995. And when it opened up to global membership, one of the things that came in then was the dispute settlement mechanism. Yeah, the Apple body. Exactly, Apple body. And here I think China and Norway agrees that we want to have that, you know, live and functioning. Uh, whereas uh, other countries have been holding back. Uh, so this will be a key uh, topic uh, and, and I, I will see if we can be helpful to move that forward. Many economies of the small and medium size are watching this very closely. Very closely. Without that, uh, many trade cannot function, especially coming from those uh, middle-sized economies. Yes, even very large countries like China needs uh, well-functioning rules-based trade order. But if you're a smaller country like Norway or Singapore, for instance, this is really important because we basically we are not able to produce everything we consume ourselves. And, and the only path to sort of wealth is that we can produce and sell. So we need, need to have an open and transparent system. So that's going to be a very important topic at MC13. The other issue, Dubai, which is just an hour away from Abu Dhabi, we concluded the, the climate summit, COP28, with a very strong program of accelerating the transition away from fossil fuels by, uh, by you know, really... Um, enhancing uh, uh, and strengthening all these investments in electrification and, uh, and renewables, uh, all that we talked about. And we need to link that agenda also to the trade agenda because we, we need to have a climate agenda and a trade agenda that is connected. And, and this, this is a good thing if we manage that, but it could also be a way to overcome some of the, uh, you know, some of the stalemates that we have been having in WTO by introducing sort of a new approach. You know, leading up to MC13 and yeah. many other implementation of earlier agreements internationally, mm -hmm. what does it take for political leaders to be able to make their steps mm -hmm. and to make sure those steps will not be rather interrupted by political rhetorics yes. or echo chambers? I'm worried about political rhetorics and echo chambers and we see more and more on that, more polarization. In my part of the world, this is now not so much Norway, but you know, around us, we see a lot of that uh, coming. And of course, in the, the US uh, electoral debate, we see this sort of coming in big time. So this is a challenge. Uh, but I also experienced firsthand that when leaders are able to speak to each other but also listen to each other you know that i present my view but i respect to listen to another leader's view and then we see if we have a common ground and maybe maybe our views are not necessarily that far apart we just approach it from a different channel and maybe i can get half of what i want if she or he gets half of what she wants so you know there are ways to deal with this in diplomacy and and on this um, on the issues of climate environment nature biodiversity ocean, as you mentioned, yeah. this has been a set of issues where the world has progressed over the last years, despite of, you know, war in, the, war in Ukraine and, you know, geopolitical conflict. Mm -hmm. But we have not seen the same progress on, uh, on issues of trade, for instance, or, uh, you know, human rights promotion uh, on uh, peace and reconciliation. There are many other issues where we have not seen the same type of progress. Mm -hmm. So let's learn from these processes that works. I hope people will not forget what we have learned through decades. That's right. And, and I think one, one good thing to remember is that, the, for instance, the UN Charter, 
which was, uh, you know, was created just after the Second World War, or actually at the end of the Second World War, because negotiations began when the war was still ongoing. ER is a really important uh, you know, constitution for the world, in a sense. And, and it was not made for sunny days alone. It was also made for really troubled times. And now that we are in troubled times, I think there's, an, you know, to go back to see what are the core principles that, you know, that you outlaw military aggression, for instance, that, you know, uh, 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 attacking and invading in other countries illegal. These things matter, and, and, and they matter particularly well now. And now, when we also have the Middle Eastern crisis, I have been very vocal in saying that we, we have to make sure that the standards apply equally that we don't allow you know, dual standards or different applications uh, to take hold because then people will not believe in the principles at all. So we see the list of global challenges goes on, right, to ocean issues uh, and to uh, you know, air quality, environmental issues. How do you see China and Norway's efforts distinctively in dealing with these issues? For example, in electronic vehicles, I see these two countries are leading the way yes on the global landscape. So, so on, when it comes to electric vehicles, uh, we are more on the consumption side. Uh, China is a major producer. We, uh, in Norway now, almost everybody who buys a new personal car, personal vehicle, mm -hmm. uh, buys an electric car. I think we're approaching 90% and we expect that uh, after next year there will be no fossil cars uh, in sale. And in that market, uh, key Chinese uh, car manufacturers are very present. So, so cars like BYD, like Xpeng. China has smartly been encountered some of these opportunities that emerge when the world decides to transition away from fossil fuels. Then you have to transition into something that has to be clean energy production, but also clean energy use. And, uh, and that's why this uh, EV, uh, you know, we, are, we have the highest penetration of EVs per capita anywhere in the planet. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting relation to China. And I also see that uh, when it comes to investments in, in, uh, in energy transition, in you know, clean energy, China is really doing a lot in China itself, but also increasingly abroad. Uh, you know, there are some kinds of sentiments. Oh, China once again is dominating the market. Mm -hmm. Would there be danger in the future if we don't have access to this and that? On the other hand, there's also, you know, in my humble understanding, the so-called uh, strategic uh, competition between China and some other countries. Mm -hmm. And therefore, would this be used as a tool for geopolitics or geoeconomics? Uh, there's a lot of uh, different questions in consumers' um, head. Yeah. So as someone who is coming from a country cares so much about the environment and also cooperation in the field, what is your take as a foreign minister? Well, you see, I think that we, we need to have uh, two thoughts in our head at the same time. One is that we need to accelerate the transition from fossil to renewable and from uh, linear uh, yes. waste culture to a more circular economic culture as fast as we can. And that in itself is an argument for extensive cooperation and for allowing those to do who does it best to, you know, to, to win the market. Mm. And the other thought is that I think it's also fair for all of us, for China, Norway, Europe, US, anyone, that we make sure that no country has you know, a monopoly of a technology or a, or a critical resource so that these technologies are 
shared and, and, and available in many countries and, and, and so on. But, but I think it's important, in Norway is a country that very much believes in an open trading system. We were very happy, really happy, when China joined the World Trade Organization, which I think is now 23 years ago, and, uh, uh, and, and which really opened up to a phase of, uh, you know, unseen globalization, where basically everybody could trade with everybody else. Mm -hmm. First in theory and then in practice because of the WTO. And now, as you correctly say, now we see markets closing in again. People are becoming more wary of where they buy their raw materials, their resources, their technology. So there is a, you know, there's a certain return to a more divided world, uh, which I think uh, we should be careful about. And that's all we have for our special program, Trade for People and Planet, today. We will bring you more update information and analysis about the ongoing MC13 throughout this week. I'm Tianwei on behalf of my teams in Abu Dhabi and also in Beijing. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you tomorrow.